0: And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Andre Chikatilo, the butcher of Rostov, the Red Ripper, the demented Ukrainian sack of serial-killing shit who brutally murdered over 50 men, women, and children between 1978 and 1990. Today's episode features descriptions of extreme violence, nightmarish tales of horrific sadism. Listener discretion highly, highly advised on this one, time suckers. Might want to let the kids set this one out. And if you don't, and you do let them listen, don't send me emails when they come knocking on your door in the middle of the night because they don't want to go to sleep, because they can't go to sleep, because they're having a nightmare. Shit is going to get dark today, as we examine the most brutal serial killer I had previously never heard of on today's bloody, terrible, and morbidly captivating edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Hail Nimrod. Praise his prophet Bojangles. On behalf of Michael motherfucking McDonald, Triple M, Yamo Time Suck. The votes came in for this Friday's bonus episode, and it is going to be the Amityville Haunting in a landslide. If you've been on Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, you are not surprised. Makes sense, man. It's October. Haunting one just just feels right. It's going to be a solid getting-ready-for-Halloween suck. Uh, If you're hoping for D.B. Cooper or Bruce Lee, don't worry. There is going to be another bonus episode coming up on November 3rd. The 1,200 iTunes Reviews bonus suck. Man, you guys have been... Just really ramping up those iTunes reviews. And I appreciate it. It's so great. Thank you for all those. Uh, thank you all, uh, all you time suckers who left those. Uh, it really it really helps out. It really makes the show kind of get noticed a little more. And uh, yeah, man, you are reviewing it faster and faster. Faster than I can create Friday bonus episodes. I got to space them out a little bit. I love it. Love all the kind words. Keeps me motivated to know that you care. And huge thanks before I begin uh, to, to all the time suckers who came out uh, this past weekend. Shows at Helium in Portland. And uh, Parlor Live in Bellevue, oh, man, so great! I'm re- I still actually I'm still in Bellevue recording this in my hotel room uh, right now, and uh, so many t-shirts, you know, worn to the show. So much muskrat labia, so much, you know. <laughs> You know, gerbil gerbil saliva the, the softest materials known to man with those t-shirts but i know it's so it's just so cool to look out to an audience and see so much of that you know and see so many beautiful members of the cult the curious coming out now it's uh god i'm so thankful uh thanks for some of the gifts some of you gave me man uh very cool uh time Sucker, hag nasty cracked me up came in came to the helium uh, portland show wearing a t-shirt said fuck hitler that's all it said it giant giant letters <laughs> really cracked me up uh got some time suck artwork from Reese Bank man God, so good, and I and I think I got a bunch of new material recorded for the for a new album. Uh, hopefully f- for early 2018, it'll start out only on Pandora. And uh, I also recorded a separate 35 minute EP. You guys didn't even know about it that were there. I didn't want to say anything. Don't put pressure on you or me uh, this, on this one. And uh, and that's going to be an EP you can only get uh, by trying out the new Timesec app later in the year when that comes out. And a lot of you guys were asking about that this weekend, which made me feel great. A lot of a lot of space lizards in the making out there. A lot of a lot of people just waiting to be space lizards. And, yeah, the last few weeks have been great, man. L.A. shows, weekend before were amazing. You know, first live podcast and a stand-up show with James Pitagallo, Jimmy Wisman from Crime and Sports and Small Town Murder. So fucking fun. Making me really excited uh, for shows the rest of this year and for 2018 and, you know, eager to start building some new material. And speaking of shows, uh, I hope some of you uh, New Yorkers, you know, cross the Hudson This weekend, get your asses to Jersey for my shows this Friday and Saturday night at Bananas Bananas Comedy Club in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Also week to Dayton, Ohio, Funny Bone, November 2nd to the 5th, the Spokane Comedy Club in Spokane, Washington, where I started November 9th through the 11th, Dr. Grins in Grand Rapids, Michigan, November 30th through December 2nd, St. Louis Funny Bone in St. Louis, Missouri, December 7th through the 10th, Comedy Club on State in Madison, Wisconsin, December 14th through 16th, closing out the year in Denver, Colorado at Comedy Works, December 28th through New Year's Eve. All right, enough tour dates. Time for some murder. All right, after I picked this topic and I started researching this episode, I just thought, why do I even care about this piece of shit? Like, like why am I spending my time, <laughs> a lot of time this week, uh, researching a low life murderer? And, and why is true crime so popular? Why do any of us care about these monsters, these disgusting deviants, right? I googled, actually, uh, why are we curious about killers, and an interesting Psychology Today article written in 2014 came up titled, Here's Why We Love Serial Killers. Uh, The article's author, Dr. Scott Bond, uh, he also wrote a book uh, called Why We Love Serial Killers, The Curious Appeal of the World's Most Savage Murderers, and a lot of interesting thoughts thrown out. Uh, after doing a lot of research and studies, uh, Dr. Bond concluded that in many ways, serial killers are for adults what monster movies are for children. That is scary fun. But because these monsters are real and have real victims, most of us also feel guilty for being fascinated. I get that. I get that. I mean, there is something fun about feeling scared when you know you're safe. That's when it's fun. right? would not be fun uh, to be interested in serial killers if, if you're in a dark alley by yourself in the middle of the night and you think a serial killer is right behind you. That is not fun. That is, that would be fucking terrifying. But but when you know you're safe, it, it is... Uh, yeah, I guess it is fun, for lack of a better word, to, to venture into the darkness. I, I feel like it's probably why many of us like going to the the zoo. You know, being able to stand, you know, 10 feet away from some killer shark or lion or grizzly bear. You know, we can look into the eyes of a predator we're, in, we're hardwired to be terrified of, instinctively afraid of, but we know that glass of the aquarium or the steel bars of the cage are going to keep us safe. So close to one of our greatest fears. You know, so close to... Some crocodile that could death roll us, you know, or some grizzly bear that could chew our fucking face off but totally protected. Our heart, But our heartbeat still ticks up. We get a little bit of that adrenaline sweat. We, we get a little of that rush of that fight or flight adrenal gland rush, you know, that spike, that ancient instinctive euphoria with, with little to none of the risk associated with actually being, uh, you know, suddenly and violently killed. And then Dr. Bond wrote something that really summed up uh, part of why I think we're obsessed with these assholes saying – The average person who has been socialized to respect life and who also possesses a normal range of emotions such as love, shame, pity, and remorse cannot comprehend the workings of a pathological mind that would compel one to abduct, torture, rape, kill, engage in necrophilia, and occasionally even eat another human being. The incomprehensibility of such actions drives society to understand why serial killers do incredibly horrible things to other people who often are complete strangers Absolutely this makes sense to me we're, we're raised in a civilized society to respect rules and social norms And serial killers violate these rules and norms I mean, Pretty much more than anybody else you know, they're, they're the ultimate bad guys, the ultimate boogeymen They take the, the most sacred of our rules and norms Don't kill, don't rape, don't torture, don't sadistically destroy And not only do they violate these rules, they, they violate them time and time again you know, and, and for a long time they don't get caught Which outrages our sense of justice and you know, fairness sense of vengeance first off how the fuck do they bring themselves to do that and second how do they not get caught how do they get away with it how do they just rape and mutilate and kill innocent person one night and then make small talk with coworkers and their family the next day and then do it again How how does the guilt over what they've done not tear them apart how do they how do they not feel guilt and then dr bond adds that serial killers appeal to the most basic and powerful instinct in all of us that is survival the total disregard for life and the suffering of others exhibited by serial killers shocks our sense of humanity And makes us question our safety and security This is similar to another thought I had I I feel like our survival instinct creates an interest in serial killers And this is me speculating on this one But I I, I just feel like there's this sense You know, like if we can study their methods and their crimes Maybe we can learn how to avoid being a future victim Learn enough about how they operate And we can figure out how to spot them You know, you listen to the time suck about Ted Bundy You going to think twice About helping some dude with his arm in a cast Move some stuff into a car In a dark, secluded section of a park you listen to the Dahmer episode, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. You're gonna keep a close eye uh on, on some dude you meet at a bar, pouring you a drink. Make sure he's not spiking it. You know, if you let him pour you a drink at all, you know, you maybe not gonna go home with a guy and let him pour you some drinks after listening to that episode for a while, if ever. Just, you know, just uh uh-uh, uh 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 buddy, uh uh-uh, uh 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 you ain't spiking my drink so I can wake up to you pouring acid in my forehead so you can create a fuck zombie. <laughs> I know what you're up to. Not adding my bleach skull to your death altar. Uh uh-uh. uh. Protect me, Nimrod. Protect me, Nimrod. And then Dr. Bana adds another reason for our fascination. I did not. I had not thought of saying serial killers have a visceral appeal for the public, similar to monster movies, because they provide a euphoric adrenaline rush. Consequently, their atrocity tales in the news and entertainment uh, are addictive. Finally, they provide a conduit for the public's most primal fears, such as, uh, primal primal feelings such as fear, lust, and anger. And he adds another thought: uh, there appears to be an, an innate human tendency to identify or empathize with all things whether good or bad including serial killers that's that's a really interesting thought there you know like maybe that's the main reason we're fascinated we, we just want answers to that unanswerable question of how could you how could you fucking do that to someone like what actually is wrong with you truly what is wrong with you you know i feel like we just we just want to understand our world we want to understand something that seems so incomprehensible like 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 how much of a relief would it be if someone finally came around and was like good news everybody we got it we found we found it we found the part of the brain that turns people into complete depraved uh just sadistic violent pieces of shit and more importantly we can cure it turns out <laughs> turns out a, uh, a a few tall glasses of fresh beet juice it, it knocks it right out it, 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 it somehow the, the the beet juice uh it rewires a part of the frontal lobe uh, that makes an otherwise normal family man uh, want to sodomize and destroy children. It's just, whoo, ha, whoo. Oh, so don't worry, everybody. Don't have to stress out about being raped and murdered. Don't have to stress out about your family being abducted and killed. Uh-uh, it's all, it's all gone. All gone, all better, all better. Problem solved. Thanks, thanks, Dr. Ice Pick McBrainstabber. Thanks for solving that dilemma for all of us. Okay, I don't know about you, but now I feel a little less guilty uh, spending a lot of time learning about this goddamn monster. Uh, I get it now. Uh, and if my voice is a little off today, I do apologize I had a lot of late nights this last weekend Working on the CDs and then working on this story And uh, my voice is a little bit shot uh, But yeah, but I get why we're here now We're drawn like we're drawn like moths to the dark, dark flame Of these horrific assholes So let's try and get some answers Let's try and figure out why Andre uh, Chikatilo Savagely killed over 50 people But first, uh, and yeah, I, guess to, I guess to do this you know, let's, let's start at the beginning of his life With a time suck timeline Trap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. Andrei Chikatilo was born on October 16, 1936, in the Ukraine state of the USSR. Uh, he was born with water on the brain and brain lesions. Who knows how much that would play into his future killings in the village of Yoblochny, a town so shitty uh, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. That, that's, that's bad. Even Whitebird, Idaho, a town of less than a hundred people, where my mom and stepdad live, a town with no grocery store, not one fast food joint. Whitebird has a Wikipedia page, a substantial one, really. How how shitty is Yubluchni? Well, I Googled it, uh, Google Earthed it actually, uh, so I could look at it, and it's not even really a village. It's, I mean, barely. You know, I, uh, it's a couple of farms located near each other with a smattering of extra houses thrown in, maybe a school. Hard to tell if there's any actual uh, uh, retail there by the shape of the buildings. Doesn't seem to be an actual town. Um, a few miles away, maybe maybe five or ten miles, by the look of the map, is Akhturka uh, or Akturka. Uh, I, I only know how to say that name uh, thanks to the pronunciation of a small Ukrainian boy named Anton in a video called Anton's Family Presentation. Akturka uh, that has only 17 views, even though it's been up for almost two years, because no one gives a fuck about Anton uh, or his family or the town of Akturka. Well, according to uh, another shitty YouTube video I found, Akhtorka was founded as a Polish outpost in 1641 and was an important center of Ukraine in the 17th and 18th centuries when it was rivaled Kharkov. And based on slideshow pics in that video, it's an industrial shithole uh, full of sad Ukrainians who wish they were living somewhere else. Uh, There is a beautiful Russian Orthodox cathedral, uh, Pokrova Cathedral, and and that it's, uh, you know, Uh, Basically the the only building that looks nice or moderately inspiring It's a cold, barren wasteland uh, Full of big, depressing cement communist apartments That that make you immediately just feel terribly sad for anyone living there You watch the video, you immediately understand why there aren't more videos showcasing the town Uh, There's a nice river nearby that probably no one ever gets to enjoy because I bet it's covered in ice most of the year And probably polluted the rest of the year It's a fucking dump And it's by far uh, the best town in the area that Andre grew up in. During the 1930s, Ukraine was known as the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, and life in rural U- Ukraine was even shittier than it is today. As bad as life is in Yeblokhne, uh today residents can at least feel good about not living there 80 years ago. Uh, 1929, Joseph Stalin, the, uh, the, the humanitarian, uh, the noble leader of communist Russia, all-around great guy by every historian's account, yes, I'm being sarcastic, Uh, had uh, instituted a policy of forced agricultural collectivization upon Ukrainian farmers, and that worked out uh, pretty bad for them. Following World War I, when the Bolsheviks took Russia away from the rule of the czars and turned it into a communist nation under Lenin, uh, Ukraine initially battled Russia for independence, emerging from World War I as its own communist nation, the Ukrainian People's Republic. But then Poland and eventually the Soviet Union squashed that shit And Ukraine was forced into the USSR, and at first, the Soviet Union did a pretty good job of integrating Ukrainian culture into Russian culture, taking care of Ukrainians in general. But uh, then Stalin came to power in the Communist Party in the nineteen, you know, mid nineteen twenties after Lenin, and Stalin didn't give two shits about Ukraine. Uh, He he didn't give one shit. Uh, Actually, you know, he cared less than that. He he didn't give a uh, a shart about Ukraine. He didn't give a didn't give a popcorn fart about Ukraine and he did his best to squash out any remaining dissident communists not loyal to the Soviet Union itself, not loyal to himself, and he motherfucked the entire region through this forced agricultural collectivization. Peasants no longer uh, able to have their own farms and work their own farms for themselves. Instead, they're forced off their land and made to join state farms. And these farms uh, were given agricultural uh, production quotas. Basically, they had to deliver you know, X amount of grain or potatoes, or, you know, whatever vegetable to the Communist Party, and then they could keep whatever was left over for themselves. Unfortunately, there really wasn't much of anything left over. And, uh, and these farmers are kicking out, you know, all these crops in the breadbasket of the Soviet Union and, and are ironically starving themselves. I, you know, I, I'm sure they saw the humor in that. Hey, uh, Petrov, isn't it funny, uh, if, you, if you think about it, how we grow the most crops for Mother Russia, and, and yet we go hungry ourselves? How funny is it? I pick beat after beat out of uh, Ukrainian soil, and yet my own baby daughter uh, soon die of malnutrition. How silly is that? Life is funny, is it not, Petrov? I I would laugh if I had more energy. I I must I must rest now. I barely have strength to talk after not eating for days, uh, despite picking uh, delicious, nutritious vegetables uh, from my own field. Uh, the sweet irony of it all, Petrov. I would. I would slap my knee in jest. Uh, if I would not scared, I'd break bird-like bones of own leg. Brittle from lack of proper vitamins and nutrients. Yeah, yeah, shit was rough. Bad year from crop production, 1932, really kicked off what would become known as the uh, Great Famine, a.k.a. the uh, Holodomor, Ukrainian for death by hunger. That sounds terrible. God, death by hunger. Ugh. Uh, crop production fell almost 50% compared to the 1931 harvest, and now, uh, when previously very little food was left over for, for Ukrainians, after meeting their production quotas, now basically no food is left over. And it's just forced starvation by Stalin. And to keep Ukrainians uh, from skimming some of their crops uh, for themselves, theft of these crops uh, that they're harvesting is punishable by death. And I'm sure a lot of farmers, despite this harsh sentence, you know, took their chances anyway, because they're already dying. In 1932 and 1933, two years, roughly $4 million Ukrainians die from forced starvation. Four fucking million. That's a lot of Ukrainians in in, in a two-year period. And and the aftermath of this living hell is is what little Andrei Chikatilo was born into. His parents, uh, Groucho and Tinky, were assholes and circus performers. Groucho was a fortune teller slash mime, and Tinky was a double-jointed contortionist slash acrobat. Of course that's that's not true. Uh, Can you imagine having to mime someone's fortune to them? Uh, no, his parents were Roman and Anna, collective farm laborers living in a one-room hut. Uh, he was their only child. There are some accounts online that his mom told him he did have an older brother, uh, Stepan. That comes uh, a lot of articles. I do not think that is true. If you look into it yourself, uh, more legit sources like the book "The Red Ripper," uh, I, I lean on pretty heavy for this, indicate that he, he told uh, he was told he had an older cousin, Stepan, uh, who was taken by starving neighbors and eaten when the kid was four. I'm, I'm sure that was super fun to hear growing up. Just do your chores, and Andre. Do your chores. Uh, your cousin Steppen, he would be doing his chores right now if he was only still alive. Such a such a sweet boy. He's too sweet. So so sweet that they, they eat him. They eat him for being so sweet. So so sweet that the neighbors eat little Steppen when he was uh, when he was your age. When he was your age right now, he could eat him. Ugh, apparently this uh, the story lets pretty deep uh, psychic uh, impact on Andre, yeah. You know? Uh, possibly leading to later cannibalistic tendencies he'd have. Uh, Andre slept in the same bed as his parents as a child. Uh, the family only had one bed, and this was terrible for everyone because Andre was a bedwetter. Apparently wet the bed a lot, and then mom would uh, berate him, uh, shame him, beat him physically for wetting the bed. So, you know, his self-esteem is uh, sky high. He he was incredibly poor, slept in a bed with his parents, who hated him for wetting the bed. He's, uh, he's hit the jackpot to start off his life. Uh, there's speculation that his bedwetting uh, may have been brought on by the some poor brain wiring that he was born with, you know. That uh, hydrocephalus, you know, the water on the brain may have caused him uh, some genital urinary tract problems later in life. You know, like the bedwetting uh, that would last into his late adolescence and later the ability to sustain a, an erection. Although he was able to ejaculate, his erection problems, his erectile dysfunction would definitely help lead him to the path of murder. We're going to be talking a lot about this as we go forward. Uh, he was also apparently very hungry as a kid, man. Things are still not good there with the food situation, claiming to not have eaten bread until he was 12. Claims they have eaten a lot of grass and leaves to keep from starving. Who knows? I don't really trust serial killers when they talk about their childhood or, or frankly, much else for that matter. But it is possible that it was that rough for him considering the circumstances of where he grew up. In 1941, when Andre is five, uh, the Nazis attack Ukraine. It's part of World War II. Uh, they bombed the fuck out of it. Uh, his own one-room hut is burned to the ground by Nazis. It had to be rebuilt by his parents and other villagers. So, you know... Uh, his childhood really just continues to be a dream. Just one dr- great dream after another. Wonderful experience all around. Uh, between 1941 and 1945, approximately 3 million Ukrainian and other non-Jewish victims are killed as part of Nazi, Nazi uh, extermination policies in Ukraine, with, uh, along with approximately 1.6 million Jewish people. Uh, an additional 3 million inhabitants of Ukraine die during this period as soldiers of the Soviet Army, uh, or indirectly as a consequence You know of World War II. Things were so bad the Ukrainian Office of Tourism adopted an ill-advised national slogan during this time of, Ukraine, come for starvation, uh, stay for Nazi death. Uh, yeah, so, you know, fucking tourism's rock bottom. Of course, of course, that was never a slogan. Uh, things were absolutely terrible. Chikatilo's father, Roman, was drafted into the Red Army, uh, the Soviet's peasant army in 1941. He's wounded, taken as a POW. 1943, while Roman is still a prisoner of war, Andrei's mother gives birth to Tatiana. Uh, the father's identity was never confirmed, but it's assumed that Anna was raped by a Nazi soldier, which evidently was fairly common at that time because life in Ukraine was the absolute worst. Uh, because Anna was uh, living in a one-room hut with Roman at the time she was raped, uh, good chance that young Andre uh, witnessed this. So that's that's not going to do uh, wonders for your, uh, you know, budding personality. By the age of, you know, by the age of six, Andre has experienced near starvation been told his cousin was kidnapped, killed and eaten by cannibal neighbors, been shamed and beaten on a regular basis for wetting the bed, seen his village bombed, taken over by Nazis who he'd, who'd he'd say uh, much later uh, committed horrific atrocities in at his village. In one interview, uh, re- he revealed in 1941, uh, in 1941 to 1943, my family lived under the Nazi occupation. After the battles we pick up the corpses, parts of bodies everywhere in the streets. I saw the children torn into pieces. You know, Jesus, he's heard his, his dad is a prisoner of war, you know, his home was burned to the ground, probably watched his mom get raped. None that can be used to justify what he would later do, but it does help understand him a bit, you know. He, uh, he's witnessed firsthand a lot of brutality, you know, he's seen the actions of people, the Nazis placed no value on human life. He's, you know, just seen horrific and widespread, probably casual violence during his initial formative years. 1944 andre began uh, attending school while things are still rough in ukraine the nazis still occupy it and he's still super hungry he passed out several times to school from hunger in class in his first year of school uh in 1945 the war with the germans is finally over and his father roman returns home but instead of being welcomed back as a war hero he he's labeled a coward he's welcomed back as a coward for allowing himself to be captured by the germans so that sucks uh, and then Andre gets bullied and teased at school because of that. Uh, in early childhood, uh, this dude really could not catch a break. Andre was a good student, but shy and socially awkward. He was also small and weak, you know, just unacceptable for Russian boy. Weak Russian boy make a weak Russian man. Disgusting, pathetic runt boy. He also, you know, was nearsighted, so, you, you know, he didn't see see that great and got teased for that. As he grew into early adolescence, uh, he still went to bed frequently, verbally and physically abused by his mom again, still for at home, uh, beat by bullies at school. So he throws himself into his studies. Teachers praise him uh, about his studies, uh, you know, about the only praise he was getting in life. And he, and he took great pride, began to take great pride in his studies, more than his fellow students. And he would develop uh, an arrogance about his intellect that would also play into future killings. Seeds of an intellectual superiority complex are born in young Chikatilo. Uh, This feeling of intellectual superiority uh, was combined with his growing frustration with his physical self. After growing, going through puberty, puberty uh, he learned that in addition to being a bedwetter, he was also impotent. Uh, he could ejaculate, but he just couldn't maintain a firm erection, and he fucking hated himself for it. He was ashamed of it. You know, what kind of proud young Russian man could he be without being able to sport a hard dick? You know, Lusifina, times the devil, cursed him with a sad, floppy ween that no good Russian woman would accept or respect. Damn you, Lusifina! 1951, at the age of 14, Andre was appointed the editor of his school newspaper. Made sure uh, everything being printed was communist-approved. Andre, despite his, uh, his early hardships, was a firm believer in communism and would remain a firm believer in communism the rest of his life. Uh, two years later, he'd become the chairman of the local chapter of the Student Communist Committee. He would organize local street marches, proclaiming the virtues of communist ideals. He did eventually grow out of his scrawny little kid phase, and he did grow into a well-built teen, broad-shouldered and, a- and athletic. Eventually, he would, he would earn the nickname Andre Silla, or Andre- Andrew the Strong. Uh, but before that, he'd be made fun of, you know... Uh, like we said before, being short-sighted, he'd also get some stupid uh, schoolyard nickname- nicknames. <laughs> One classmate called it, claimed his breasts were were too big. Maybe he had a little bit of little bit of man titties going on, and the kid started calling him Baba, a derogatory term for a woman. And then another kid noticed his dick at the ur- urinal and thought his foreskin looked odd, and told everyone in school about that too. He was made fun of for that for a long time for having a weird looking dick. Fuck, kids are so mean. They're so mean. When my son Kyler was in first grade, some some shitty kid told him that he had a nose that looked like a pig nose. He he has an adorable nose, he's always had an adorable nose But then suddenly he hates his nose, and he's convinced he's ugly He was upset about it for months and months Took forever to get his self-esteem back You know, God, man, I remember some kid uh, Told me I had a huge head when I was in junior high uh, Maybe sixth grade even Actually a couple kids did, well I did have a big head I still have a big head, but then I was super self-conscious About the size of my head for years And Andre is self-conscious now You know, he's naturally shy, and, and now he's getting extremely You know, uncomfortable around girls Between the impotence and being teased when he's seventeen, he does find some sexual satisfaction, though. Unfortunately, he finds it in a strange place. He uh, he jumps on an eleven-year-old friend of his younger sister. I don't know what would preface the jump. He didn't really explain that. But he they start wrestling. He wrestles her to the ground, somewhat playfully. Uh, but then she wants to be let up, and he won't let her up. You know, and it gets you know uh, she gets a little scared. And when she gets scared, and he and he's holding her down, he also just suddenly ejaculates into his pants. You know, she's struggling to get away. Uh, coming into his pants will be a huge part of Andre's life. He'd actually get a new uh, nickname out of it. Uh, Old Sticky Zipper. That's the, uh, well, if it isn't Andre Sticky Zipper Chikatilo. How many times you come in pants today? How stiff are pants today? Uh, he also became obsessed with masturbation during adolescence, which feels like a statement you could apply to 99% of all adolescent boys. You know, When I first heard that, I always thought, like, well, it'd be weird if he was a teenage boy who wasn't into masturbation. You we know? like, would be weird if he tried it once and was just like, whatever. What is fuss about with the jerking and the coming? I did not, I did not hate it. But it did not bring me more joy than arithmetic or memorizing names of important communist Party members. So although he apparently couldn't maintain an erection firm enough for sex, as we'll find out, he he could kind of get it just, you know, just barely hard enough to, to kind of jerk it around and he could ejaculate. You know, it's like he, it's like he had permanent whiskey dick. Well, 1953, uh, Andre, Gra- and, and I guess he's just jerking off all the time. Like he really is obsessed with masturbation. Like, like, like even, yeah, again, more so than <laughs> a typical teen boy, you know. Every, every time the parents leave the house, even when they're even when they're in the house, he's kind of like doing little sneak jerks inside his pants. You know, dude loves to come in his pants. It's one of his one of his things. 1953, Andre uh, graduated from school with excellent grades. He was the only kid from his collective farm to graduate at all. Uh, and you, and uh, it drove him crazy. He still couldn't get a proper boner. He's the smartest kid in his village, but he also has the limpest dick. And the perceived unfairness of this, this disconnect between academic performance and physical prowess would drive him mad for the rest of his life. Uh, he killed for a variety of reasons later, but frustration over his own impotence would truly seem to be his biggest motivation. Uh, which is which is why if your kid uh, struggles, if your teenage kid struggles with impotence, the the best thing you can do, from what I've read, is just to put them down. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to have them killed. I know that's I know that's hard. I know it's hard, but you got to put them down before they become another limp dick serial killer. Oh, uh, or, sorry, or you could take him to a doctor or a counselor and just kind of get it worked out that way. That's right. There there also is that option. There also is that option. Uh, After graduating, uh, Andre applies for admission at Moscow State University. He gets a full-ride scholarship, majoring in vodka distilling with a minor in beet harvesting. Uh, He got accepted into a frat, Pi Kappa Gamma Epsilon Delta Ruski. Uh, He became the assistant coach on the women's Greco-Roman-style wrestling team, using practice sessions as an excuse to grapple with young women so he could regularly ejaculate into his tight cotton coaching shorts. No, no, he did not. He did not get into Moscow State. Uh, he was and he was devastated that he did not, and he blamed his rejection on his father's military record for being captured. He's bummed out. He's depressed. He attends a nearby technical college, studying to get a two-year degree in communications engineering. Uh, he also dates a local girl, Tatiana, uh, who's, who his sister had introduced him to, uh, who he tried several times to have sex with and just could not get it up, and that ended the relationship. You know, this dumb, dummy worthless, bald, dick, dumb, you limp, traitor, trouser weasel, you betray me. If only I could find a woman who loves man who wrestles her and will come in pants. Andre's boner problems uh, can, can continue, you know. He tries dating other girls. Every romantic encounter ends in failure. He just, just could not get the right boner at the right time and then became increasingly frustrated with his sexual inadequacy. 1955, Andre finishes his two-year course. He's sent by the Young Communist League for his first adult work experience to work on power lines in the dismal industrial city of uh, uh, Nizni Tagil. Nizni Tagil. About 800 miles of East Moscow. Uh, the place sounds like a terrible place to live. Several maximum security prisons surround the town. And when prisoners are released, I guess most of them just stay. Uh, Vice, I love watching Vice videos. Vice did a short documentary on it in 2015 and called it the City of the Colorful Sky. Its sky is discolored due to the massive amounts of industrial pollution pouring out of it. Uh, pouring out of over 600 factories. Uh, it looks terrible. It it's also has a heavy rough, Russian mafia presence. Has enough prostitutes to have Google auto add the word prostitution to the name of the town when I Googled it. Well, despite all these ladies, uh, romance problems for Chicotillo, of course, continue, uh, which increase his nervousness and frustration with women. 1957, Andre is drafted to the military where he would serve for three years. He gets so awkward around the ladies. Because of his fear of not being able to perform, that the other soldiers start to spread rumors that he's gay, which was a big no-no in 1950s machismo Russian culture, where homosexuality was also still a crime, and his sexual self-esteem is just plummeting even further. He's he's a limp dick shell of his former limp dick self. And he did have another wrestling moment. He goes on a date with a, some woman, and when he when he holds her down and she doesn't like it and struggles to get away, he, he doesn't let her go. He, you know he comes again, and, and he realizes for sure now that holding someone down and uh, you know, and like the violence and the struggle is, is what makes him ejaculate You know, he really firmly makes that connection his head. He's like, okay, that's, that's what does it for me In 1960, uh, Chikatilo completes his military service And heads back to his home village of Yablokhny And he quickly realizes uh, That home holds nothing for him No jobs, no single girls to, to wrestle with And dry hump and come into your pants around So he, he heads east into a Russian agricultural region Known as the Rostov Oblast uh, Settling in the little town of Rodunova, uh, Nesvetsky and getting the job as a telephone engineer, he gets a one room place. But unlike the one room shack of his childhood, oh, he, his one room pad has electricity, has running water, has an indoor toilet. Oh, he's moving on up to the east side. we finally got a piece of the pie. Little Jeffersons, nineteen sixty one. Little poorly, little poorly sung Jeffersons, nineteen sixty one. Uh, yeah, I, there's, I can sing poorly more than Michael McDonald, as you've been finding out. There's a lot of stuff I can sing poorly. In 1961, Andre's parents and his sister come to join him. All live in that one room place doesn't bother Andre because it's not like he's bringing ladies home, and he's a master of ejaculating into his underoots and pants at this point and in So it's not like, it's not like he even needs privacy to masturbate. You know, he just needs to needs to challenge one of the ladies house uh, the house to an arm wrestling match. Challenge his mom or sister. Just come on, you think you can defeat the champ? Come on, grab my hand, arm wrestle. Now try to pin it down. You can not do it. You can you can do it, can you? Now now try to get away from me. Try to, get, try, to try to make me let you go, of you. Come on, you try try, try. try to make me, uh, oh, oh. You 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 can go now. You you that was see, that was fun. It's good family game, no? Actually there was never any indication of anything incestuous with Andre. He uh, he at least kept his sexual dysfunction away from the fam. Uh, and he also gets more, even more into jerking off. Whenever his fam is not home, man, he is just slapping his soft Ukrainian skin flute around the around the pad there, playing that playing that Russian snake harp. That's how he do, baby. Apparently, uh, whenever this guy felt the urge to masturbate, which was often, he just he just did it. You know, usually within minutes, wherever he happened to be, uh, which led to I'm, I'm guessing a lot of embarrassing situations. I read about one at work. This is unbelievable. Uh, Andre's uh, short sightedness or near sightedness uh, combined with his masturbation impulse led him to. To walk away from some fellow telephone engineers out in the woods during a lunch break after they're working on some you know power lines, and and he walks out into the woods away from them until he thinks he's <laughs> until he thinks he's out of sight, but because of his uh, poor eyesight he he's not out of sight, and he just starts just jerking his floppy dick around, and uh, <laughs> and while he can't see his coworkers they can see him and they just like they just watch this whole thing. Right, uh, and then they're just like, what they're like, what what the fuck what are you what are you doing? what do you, are you jerking in woods?" And uh, you know, they mock him relentlessly after that, as they should have, you know, now, let me add that, as they should have, if you get caught jerking off at work, you cannot then you know have a- any legitimacy to your complaints about being mocked. You should be made fun of if, if you haven't been fired. what the fuck is wrong with you? Like really, you, you can't wait till you get home, you poor impulse control having sexual deviant, who just stands there and jerks into the woods? I don't I don't think I've ever been horny enough to to need to do that, ever. Not even like the 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 height of my hormones in my teens. You know, where I just needed to walk off a little ways from my coworkers and just fucking start beating it. I worked at Playboy for two years with new Playboy models. Never I was never like, oh God, I gotta get to the bathroom right now and jerk these naughty thoughts into a shame toilet. Must have release. No, you start having super horny thoughts and you take care of it the, the normal way. You start thinking about your childhood dog being taken away from you, you know, or unattractive coworker worker forced themselves on you, or you think about your grandma wiping diarrhea off her butthole, <laughs> you know, whatever you need to, to think about to immediately kill any feelings of sexuality. I'm not sure that's psychologically healthy to do all that, but boy, it, oh, it works, works for me. Uh, so, so how do you go back to work after getting mocked for jerking off in the woods? Uh, how, do, how do you not just run further into the forest after that and just try to, you know, leave your family, live as a wild man for the rest of your days? Completely abandoning society. I guess he didn't have a family, so even easier for <laughs> I just can't imagine how embarrassing the rest of that shift was. Hey, uh, Andre, uh, w- would you mind uh, climbing the pole and resetting the power line, or or are you, are you too busy coming onto pine needles again? Uh, can you can you help us set a pole, or would you rather play with own pole in woods like like weird sex maniac as we watched you earlier? And you go home after that to your little one bedroom, you know, with your family. And, you know, your mom's all like, "How w- how was work, Andre?" It was a hard day, Mother. Uh, we had problems with electrical lines, starting small fire. And uh, and also, uh, co-workers watched me, uh, you know, stroke soft cock in woods when I think i alone. Uh, w- will you make beet soup tonight, Mother? I could use comfort food after a hard day of toil and shame. Uh, 1963 is Sister Tatiana. She's getting worried about her brother. She sets her, her 27-year-old up, brother, uh, with another lady friend. The family in general is starting to worry about him. 27 is old in Russia. 1963 to be single. You know, and especially for a guy who's, you know, he's a, he's a member in good standing in the Communist Party. He's got a good job. He's making decent money. He's not a bad-looking guy. Why doesn't he have a wife? You know, is he gay? People are starting to talk. You know, he can't be gay in Russia in 1963. You know, well, I mean, of course you can. Uh, many undoubtedly were, but, you know, you, you couldn't admit it unless you didn't care about going to jail, losing your job. Well, his sister introduces Andre to a friend of a friend, uh, Fy- Fyodosia, also known as Fyina. And despite Andre's painful shyness and awkwardness around her, eventually the two become romantically involved well, as, as much as Andre can be, be romantically involved with anyone, uh, Benio thinking he's quite the gentleman, actually, when he wants to wait for marriage to have sex. And then they get married in late 1963, get their marriage license after a simple ceremony at the local registrar's office, and then on the wedding night, Fina realizes why he was so shy sexually, and the impotence, of course, continues. Despite the impotence, uh, they do have a child in 1965 when daughter, Lyudmila is born. A uh, second child, a son named Yuri, is born in 1969, to get Faena pregnant, check this out, uh, Andre would just jerk off into his hand and then push the sperm inside of her with his fingers. So, ha, ha how hot is that, ladies? Huh? How, how excited, how revved up are you right now? What a stud. Well, a young couple couldn't be happier. Every every girl's dream, you know, just to get pregnant from a future serial killer pushing, pushing coming to her vagina with his sweaty-palmed hand. Ugh. And if you're wondering what kind of woman would accept this, uh, you know, why didn't she leave him? You know, why didn't she at least try and make him go to a doctor or a therapist to work this stuff out? Uh, she did try to make him go to a therapist. He wouldn't really – but he wouldn't have it. He made one like half-assed attempt, but he wasn't, wasn't interested. Well, because, you know, she put up with this because the bar for a good Russian man in the 1960s was preposterously low. Uh, yeah, Andre had boner problems, but he also wasn't drunk all the time and he didn't beat her, which apparently were norms uh, for Russian husbands at the time. Like seriously. Like, I, I watched this documentary where this Russian detective explains this. You know, he's like, you know, he did not get drunk or bitter, which was common for Russian men at this time. Like, wow, you know, Russia, what a country. Uh, Andre would, uh, would later talk about beginning uh, to regularly sexually fantasize about physically dominating women at this time, too, cementing that part of uh, that association in his brain. He keeps his fantasies private, though. God, if only there had been, like, a socially accepted BDSM club at that time. You know, bondage, dominance, submission, sadomasochism. You know, maybe, maybe he could have worked his shit out there. But sadly, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey uh, had still yet to be poorly written. Uh, 1960s, Andre, you know, began taking college courses again in the late 1960s. And in 1971, uh, he got a degree in, in Russian philology and literature from Rostov University. And uh, he quit his job at the telephone station in 1970 after several years of, aren't you the guy who was cut jerking off in the woods? <laughs> this is the guy. This is the guy jerking off in the woods. Uh, you know, constant snickering whenever you left the room, whenever you entered a room. <laughs> and he got a job as a, the head of a local youth sports center where he focused exclusively on COVID wrestling. Just what you want to do is you want to get behind a woman or a girl like this. You get behind her and you pin arms behind head and make it hurt a little. Then you use pelvis area to to hold woman to ground and by pushing uh, crotch against buttocks and much like this. And you, do, you rub up and down and you back and forth and you... Uh, uh, uh. Okay, that is enough lessons for today, children. Uh, Coach Ticotillo must must change shorts now. Uh, I don't know if he really did focus on wrestling, but he really did run a kids' youth sports center, which is creepy. Uh, For this guy. Not creepy for anybody who does that. Uh, (laughs) After getting his degree, he gets a job as a teacher in the town of uh, Novoshtinsk, uh, an industrial shithole uh, of about 200,000 people where a lot of coal was being mined in conditions that were the most dangerous in the world for coal mines at that time, which is saying a lot. Since coal mines in general aren't uh, known for being super safe places, you know. So again, you know, Russia, what the what country. And uh, at first, Andre uh, was super excited about his new job. He's a teacher with a college degree, which made him an esteemed member of Russian society in the town. He's proud. Uh, however, he also was a shitty teacher. Former students interviewed years later described him as introverted, uninterested, and unpleasant. Man. Wow, the, the, the trifecta of shittiness really paints quite a picture there. His fellow teachers didn't like him either. He's one of the few Russians who didn't like to go drink. You know, he never went out to work with them. Went out to never went out with the staff. His, his wife wasn't terribly happy with him at home. You know, she's a young woman married to a man completely unwilling to figure out why he can't figure out how to fuck her. Uh, his, his sex life outside of marriage, however, starting to pick up. Starting to pick up. Uh, he starts uh, obviously stroking his dick inside his pants during class. You know, normal Russian teacher stuff. And, and then because he taught at a boarding school, he starts uh, showing up in the doorways of girls' rooms when they're changing, when they're nightgowns, you know, getting ready to go to bed. Clearly, just like obviously not trying to hide it, just jerking off inside his pants. And that is how you get the nickname of Professor Pocketpool, uh, which he apparently adored. He's, P- P- Professor Pocketpool is term of endearment. It's a sign of respect. Kids uh, kids joke around. The uh, Professor Pocketpool is like a cool guy or a rad dude. No, he didn't have that nickname. so fucking weird. Man, I had some pervy teachers growing up, you know, obviously trying to look up girls' skirts, but jerking off inside of your pants, that's some uh, next-level super-perv shit. Well, I don't know if anyone called him Professor Pocketpool, but I I, I do know he got even creepier in 1973 on a field trip. uh, He swam with a river, or swam swam with a river, that's weird. He swam in a river with some students, and then when he was uh, alone with a 15-year-old girl, a little bit away from the group, he just underwater fondles her breasts and genitals, starts groping her, she starts screaming. Uh, he only stops, you know, groping her when other students swim over to see what the fuss is about. And, and after he undoubtedly ejaculated into his swim trunks and incredibly, he is not disciplined for this incident at all. Just what, what is fuss? I, I give anatomy lesson. I, I never stopped teaching. I always teaching. Uh, a month later, he asked a 14 year old female student who wasn't doing well in class to stay afterwards for school for a private tutoring lesson. Uh, when she got some questions wrong, he hits her on the small of the back with a ruler. And realizes this really turns him on to do this uh, She asks him to stop Which turns him on more So he grabs her, refuses to let her go And as she struggles away, uh, of course he comes into his pants I've Never read about a guy coming into her pa- in their pants More than this guy, by God By the way, how weird is it that we went from talking about John Holmes And his giant hard porn dick last week And how that factored into his life and demise And, uh, and now this week we're talking about Chikatilo's uh, lip dick Which will heavily factor into his uh, you know horribleness and demise a lot, a lot of prominent dick narratives in the suck lately I've been, I've been sucking some serious dick, you know, last few weeks, if you think about it. <laughs> Incredibly, uh, despite the girl telling her parents, nothing is done to discipline Andre. Still a Communist Party member in good standing. He also starts molesting his niece at this time when she comes to visit, putting his hands into the six-year-old's underwear. Uh, years later, when she was 10, she'd wake up to her uncle standing above her bed as she slept, just masturbating openly. Dude is fucked up. Uh, and also fucked up is that his wife, Faina, knew this stuff was going on but chose to ignore it, preferring to live in denial instead of admitting her husband was a pedophile and having to deal with that. Uh, he's also rubbing himself up against strangers on buses and trams and town, trains, you know. No no one loved an invasive uh, crotch rub more than Chikatilo. Uh, to this day, actually, if you rub your limp dick against a stranger in Russia, it's called chikatilo in somebody. You know, what, what are you doing? What you Stop rubbing on me. Did, hey, hey, did you just Chikatilo me? Oh, God, this... The front of your shorts are wet now. You totally chickotilled me. You son of a bitch. It's not called that, but it should be. Uh, finally, in January of 1974, the school had had enough of Professor Pocketpool, and he was asked to resign or be fired. <laughs> Jesus. Molest a few kids, and your punishment is you got to find a new job. Unreal. Well, part of the reason he, he wasn't reported to authorities, likely the only reason, actually, is because of the nature of Russian communism at this time. Because the focus is on collective living, when a teacher at school uh, does well, the whole school is rewarded. Like, some teacher gets a reward, it shows you know favorably on the entire school but when a teacher does poorly the whole school can be punished can be looked down upon it can hurt your standing in the party so if the school director you know would have turned in Andre Andre wouldn't be the only one to to take a a, a loss of social value you know the other teachers and the director would would also be seen as 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 less you know uh less they, they wouldn't be as good of communists you know so so that's so why couldn't they solve you know why couldn't they solve their own problem why why wasn't the school able to correct the behavior of a member of their team why didn't they see this coming you know yeah, just this fucking Russia. What the what the country? So weird. Okay, so so Chikotilo immediately gets a new job, uh, right around the corner in Novoshukhtinsk uh technical school number thirty-nine. Being forced to resign did seem to scare Andre enough into uh not molesting anyone in school for a few years, and he made it all the way to nineteen seventy-eight without diddling anyone that we know of. Uh that year, uh he was let uh go from that school when they received a budget cutback. So he may not be molesting anyone, but he's still not liked by staff or students. Then he gets a job uh, in nearby uh, Shakti at technical school number 33. How soulless was Russian society at this time? Teaching at technical school 33. Uh, Undoubtedly some drab concrete building, you know, living in some state apartments. Apartments unit center 17. Another soulless concrete building taking a shitty bus. Work bus number 24. Past one depressing coal factory after another. Just communism was fucking terrible. Uh, Faina joins her husband in his new job, getting hired as a matron. You know, they're given a four-room flat in the boarding school so they can live there as well. Uh, so that was that was actually, you know, uh, pretty hard to get uh, at that time. You know, so, so during – again, he's, he's such an ardent communist that despite his constant fuck-ups, uh, he, he lives for Russian standards at the time, pretty good life. Uh, Chikatilo's main responsibility is new school is managing the boys' dormitory. And Andrei didn't uh, let, uh, you know, only having access to boys uh, put an end to his sexual deviancy. A former student recalled that in the fall of 1978, when he was 15, he awoke in his dorm bed to find his dick in Chikatilo's mouth. Seriously. Uh, he wakes up. His dick is in Chicatilo's mouth. Andre uh, fled out of the room. He runs out of the room. He woke up. You know, fear of a negative light being cast on the entire school. The incident is, again, unreported. Word gets around to the staff, but no one does anything. Unbelievable. Uh, it seems like that would be even harder to explain than jerking off in the woods, you know, the telephone guys, you know, to, to your peers. Just Look, I'm, I'm not a I'm not molester. I, I, I just like to joke around. I like to joke around. I have an odd sense of humor. Uh, no, one, no one gets it. You know, I, I joke in woods. I joke in woods for laugh. I put a sleeping boy dick in mouth for a joke. Everyone's so uptight in Russia. Uh, also in 1978, uh, Chikatilo buys a little shack in the woods at the edge of town uh, without telling his family. A little one-room hut. Of the now forty-two-year-old pedophile and overall deviant is hoping to lure women and girls back to, and, and and he starts you know luring poor communist women and girls back to the shack with a promise of food or vodka, and then he'd rough them up a bit, and then he'd ejaculate into his pants. Such a weirdo, uh, such a horrific human being. And then on December twenty-second, nineteen seventy-eight, he lures nine-year-old Lena Zakatova or uh, Zakatnova uh, to his secret shack, and and this is where the timeline uh, really really starts to get rough. But before we get rough, let's get comfortable. Let's get comfortable with today's sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Lisa. Best mattresses in the mattress game. What if you could give back while you slept? Well, you know what? Now you can. Lisa is an innovative direct to consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. I love it. Driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. For every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. How cool is that, time suckers? I love I love that so much. Not to mention, uh Lisa also plants one tree for every mattress sold and donates one percent of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. But best of all, uh, Lisa's patented universal adaptive feel is designed for all types of sleepers. features three premium foam layers, including a 2-inch Avena, foam top layer for cooling and breathability, 2-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief, 6-inch dense core support foam for durability and structure for sleepers of all sizes. Lisa mattresses are available online in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Germany. I know I have time suckers in all those places. Uh, Or at the Lisa Dream Gallery in New York City The 100% American-made mattresses I also love that 100% American-made mattresses uh, uh, Ship compressed into a box to your door So you can save a trip to the store No wonder it's a Forbes Top 20 Startups to Watch company I have a king-size Lisa mattress coming in the mail And I can't wait for it to get here Uh, Right now my wife and I sleep on a queen And my wife wants a king so bad uh, Specifically so we can get a second dog And so then we can have room for both Of our dogs to sleep in our bed You heard that right we are officially super weird weird dog people now. I'm, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm getting a bigger bed so I can fit more animals uh, in it while I sleep. And I'm kind of excited about that. I kind of want more sweet puppy to cuddle, to cuddle with. I, God, I know that, that feels creepy coming out of my mouth. I am self-aware of that, but it's true. Uh, you know it's not creepy, though? Lisa mattresses. So try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free with free shipping. And uh, best part, get $100 off. When you go to leesacom dot com slash timesuck, you hear about you hear that discount. That's a hundred bucks, hundred bucks off. You know, go to Lisa l e e s a. dot com slash timesuck to get a hundred dollars off the mattress. Link will be provided in the episode description. Okay, now back to the horribleness of today's episode. So, okay, so this poor this poor little girl, this poor little Lena. Oh, Jesus, man! This this nine year old. She is. Uh, she's heading home from her friend's house, and Chikatilo approaches her, reminds her of her grandfather. And, uh, you know, and and then she has to go to the bathroom, she reveals, and Andre tells her, he's like, you know, don't even worry about it, just use mine, and then once he gets her inside his shack, you know, he, he holds her down, rips her clothes off, he tries to rape the little girl, uh, but he can't physically, he can't get an erection, so then he tries to use his hand to push his penis inside of her, uh, and this breaks her hymen, she starts to bleed a little bit, and when he sees the blood, he immediately has the most powerful orgasm of his entire life, this guy was the sickest of fucks. Uh, sadly, uh, no one rushed in at this point and caved his goddamn demented skull in with a fucking lead pipe. Wouldn't that be great? You know, when I, when I read about stuff like this, I just can't comprehend, uh, pure pacifists or a world without violence. I would gladly walk around a prison and put bullets in the heads of pedophile pieces of shit like this guy. They're sadistic social predators. Uh, there's no cure for them. And, uh, you know, in my mind, they need to be eliminated. And I, and I do realize that my view here is much more extreme than many of you other listeners. When I've gone on these rants before, I've gotten some emails about pedophilia, about like, really, do I mean, do you really think they should just be put down? I, I do. I do. Cause there's no cure for them. There's no cure for them. Ah, uh, you know, so we're going to have to ad- agree to disagree on that. That's fine. Well, he's not killed. Uh, Instead, he has this moment of clarity. He realizes he needs to inflict a lot of pain. Uh, to, He has to make somebody hurt and bleed to achieve sexual satisfaction. So then he takes a knife out of his pocket uh, with the intention of, you know, at first, just apparently what he would say later, cutting on the belly a little bit, seeing a little bit more blood. And when he does this, he gets off again. You know, he quickly ejaculates again, he, and he goes nuts, and he doesn't cut her uh, a bit. He stabs her now in the stomach over and over again, and then he tears at the wounds like a demon. He tears her insides apart in this orgy of violence, and then he snaps out of it. He realizes what he's done. He panics. It's dark now. He picks up her dead body, runs it to a nearby river, throws the girl and all of her belongings in it, races home, cleans himself up in the shower before his wife gets home. Well, the police find Lena's body, two days later, in this uh, gushovka, uh, river, special investigative team is set up to find the killer. The girl's belongings had been found near Chikatilo's shack uh, near the bank there. He, he he didn't throw him the right uh, he didn't like throw him far enough or he threw him too far and they, and they ended up on the bank of the river instead of in the water. You know, he didn't notice in the dark and so now investigators, you know, they start interviewing residents near Chikatilo's shack. They start talking, you know, uh, when they do investigate the neighbors, they start talking about how they've, they've been seeing women and girls. Andre's been bringing back to that shack. He becomes a person of interest especially when the police find drops of blood on the ground near the door of his shack. However, his wife, uh, Faina, the enabler, uh, gives him an alibi because she's also a piece of shit, if you really think about it, and and because uh, none of his previous crimes against children had been reported to police, he had no criminal record, and the police did not properly pursue uh, their investigation of him. Instead, they shift their focus uh, to another local resident, 25-year-old Alexander uh, Kravchenko, who lived a few doors down and who had been convicted of a similar killing in Crimea. Eight years earlier when he was 17. The fact that he wasn't 18 is the only reason he was still alive. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison and he was released after six for that murder. Well, the previous connection, uh, conviction for, for a similar crime and no alibi was enough to charge, try, convict, and execute Alexander for a crime he did not commit. And I'd feel bad for him if he hadn't killed some other little girl earlier. So you know what? So fuck him. So fuck him and good riddance. Uh, but what a strange time for Chikatilo. Not only does he uh, not get caught for brutal murder, murder uh, but someone else does get caught. And uh, and is then executed, so he's never even going to be investigated for it again. This had to have fueled his intellectual superiority complex uh, greatly. You know, he's, he's he probably feels like he's outsmarted the system. Uh, communism, you know, uh, pl- plays into this. Uh, you know, false conviction. Police had to appear good at their jobs to be considered good communists and to maintain good standing in the communist party and to be a good homicide investigator. Well, you have to catch murderers, you know. And then to be a good judge, you know, you got to convict them. You got to produce results. Got to reaffirm that the communist system works. So. Probably a lot of innocent people are convicted of shit. Uh, despite literally getting away with murder, it'll be several years before Chicatilo kills again. The fact that he was investigated at all does scare him and uh, keeps him from killing, you know, for a little while. In 1981, uh, he's also dismissed from another teaching position rather than uh, fire him from technical school 33, uh, you know, from the, the place where years earlier, you know, a student woke up to find a dick in his, uh, Andre's mouth. I'm sure there was a whole other host of nefar- nefarious and lecherous deeds he committed. The school waited for budget cutbacks, so then they could then ask him to voluntarily step down. Communism again, keeping them from firing him and risking being seen as somehow culpable in his predatory actions, somehow being associated. So, rather than get another teaching position, Chicatilo decides to switch careers and takes a job as an industrial supply clerk. I don't know, maybe he was just sick of you know teachers and students, you know, just n- not appreciating his eccentric sense of humor. You know, this is so of no one wants to joke around this school. No one, no one likes grabbing boobies on, on field trip joke. You know, no one likes joking off behind student's back joke or putting uh, sleeping boy dick in mouth joke. That is my best joke. That's my best That's my best material. Well, maybe factory guys know how to get around, uh, you know, more better. Well, it turns out his new job would, would lead to a lot of murders. For his supply clerk uh, position, he was required to travel around the country, talk with various other factories, get needed supplies, bring them back for his company and his factory. Uh, he traveled alone, being alone in, in, in new cities. Where no one knew him and where police wouldn't know to look for him was was a killing opportunity. This piece of shit just couldn't resist. And on September 3rd, 1991, Chikatilo uh, struck again in the nearby industrial and crime-riddled city of Rostov, Rostov-Nadanyu, the largest city in southern Russia with over a million people. Uh, and it was on this day that the 44-year-old Chikatilo met a 17-year-old girl named Larissa Takchenko. Uh, he never said what he did to convince the girl to accompany him from a train station to a secluded area. Maybe the promise of food. Alcohol, money, whatever it was. She willingly followed him into some woods uh, near what was called a relaxation station, which sounds basically like a strip mall. And when they laid on the ground, for what I'm guessing she assumed would be sex, he starts getting rough with her, pins her arms, then she starts screaming, so he grabs handfuls of dirt and just pushes them into her mouth. Then he starts hitting her in the head and starts choking her, eventually ejaculating under her body because his pants are off. Uh, she dies, you know, and then this fucking demon, after she's dead, bites one of her nipples off. Then this real-life monster, uh, I'm not making this up, starts whooping and running around her like in little circles in some kind of joy-filled death celebratory dance. Seriously. He's naked from the waist down, chewing on a nipple, literally dancing around her dead, mutilated body, blood undoubtedly on his face. He's in an area secluded enough, I guess, to let him feel comfortable doing this shit, and he fucking celebrated like like he was doing a goddamn touchdown dance. And sadly, no Russian wolf emerged from the forest and bit his sad, limp dick off. No bear descended from the trees and mauled off his worthless face. When he's done celebrating, he puts his clothes back on, covers his, her body with some leaves, hid her torn clothing under some brush, and just calmly walked away and rationalized what he had done. You know, just rationalized like, well, she did not want that to happen, and she shouldn't have walked off in the woods with older man. She's a woman of loose morals; She bring it on herself. And, and he'd use this type of rationalization for future killings. He wasn't a disgusting monster who deserved to be tortured to death. No, no, not him. Not him. He's a good guy. He's a human exterminator, getting rid of undesirables for the glory of Russia. Keep Russia strong by eliminate weak members. Amazing what human beings can rationalize, isn't it? Okay, well, after laying low for nine months, Chikatilo would strike again on June 12, 1982. 13 year old uh, Lyuba Burek uh, had been sent to the store by her mom in the little village of Donskoy, uh, Posyulik. And instead of taking the bus home as uh, planned, she decided to walk. And Chikatilo uh, happened to be walking along the same road that she was. He caught up with her. You know, start up some conversation with the girl who's 32 years younger than him. After all those years teaching him, and he clearly knows how to talk to kids. I'm sure he passed himself off as some kind of father figure. As the two walked, they left the road, took to a wooded trail alongside the road. And as soon as Chikatilo knew that no one else was around, he jumps on young Luyuba, tore her clothes off, tries to rape her. I think you know this is not going to work out, you know. Uh, enraged at his ongoing impotence, he pulls out a knife. Tries to, you know, Stabs, starts stabbing her, cuts her Again climaxing during a flurry of violence Too close to the road to do his little victory dance his walking pile of evil You know, just covered her body with dirt and leaves Threw her clothes and shopping bags into the woods Went about his day like nothing ever happened And then now, now that he's, you know, continuing to get away with things Chikatilo uh, begins to ramp up his killings By the end of 1982, he claims Six additional victims Another Liuba, Liuba volio Bevia, uh, age 14, was killed on July 25th uh, on one of Andrei's business trips. Uh, nine-year-old Oleg would die on August 13th. Chikatilo's uh, first male victim, uh, 16-year-old uh, old Olga, would die just three days later. 18-year-old Irina Karbivnukhova uh, and 15-year-old Sergei Kuzmin are killed in September. And, uh, and in December, he killed 10-year-old Olga uh, Stelmanchuk. Uh, special force investigation is formed to look into these killings, forming an operation uh, known as Lesopolusa. It so, looks like Lala Palooza. Uh Liso uh, polusa, the forest path, uh, a name taken. i probably fucking that up. A name taken from the place where almost all the bodies are found, the forest. And while the police clearly uh, knew they had a madman on their hands, the public did not. Very different uh, in Russia then than it is in, like, in the U.S. Now, the media is rigidly controlled by the communist regime in the '80s, and journalists are not allowed to report uh, anything about this story. The police fear it will cause panic amongst the public. And if the police did release all the details, it might have, actually. I mean, the crimes were horrific. Bodies mutilated, organs cut off, sexual organs cut off. In some cases, forensic evidence suggested victims were still alive and possibly even conscious while their stomachs were cut open, while they were tortured. The killer clearly did not want them to die too quickly. He wanted to savor their last moments. Uh, And as disgusting and scary as all that is, it gets even worse. And to discuss how much worse it gets, we're going to have to go into some super scary stuff. Super scary stuff. If Chikatilo left a signature uh, to his kills, it, it was what he did with the eyes. Virtually every body the police found had stab wounds around the eyes. If, if the eyes weren't actually completely just carved out and removed, uh, police began to believe the the killer believed an old Russian's wives tale that a person's retina somehow retained the last image they saw before death. And Chikatilo would admit that that was why he did it later. Uh, and, you know, in these cases, you know he was afraid that image would be obviously Chikatilo's sexually satisfied, sick fuckface. What a weird old wives, wives' tale! Like, where did that come from? I not find uh, after googling for a while any origin info on that wives' tale. You know, probably, probably somebody got you know, just got screwed over at some trial where they didn't have any actual evidence and that bullshit was thrown out. You know, <laughs> crazy communist Russia. Just, do we have fingerprints of defendant at crime scene? No. Do we have witness to kill him? No. Do we do we have motive? No. Does defendant have strong alibi? Perhaps, but. On victim's eyeballs, is last image seen before death, and that image is defendant holding murder weapon. We have not been able to find. That is, he is guilty. Do I have these eyeballs for you to see the image I speak of? No, no. I, eyes have been thrown in trash out of respect for family. So I need you need you to trust me. Uh, guilty. Uh, guilty as charged, based on eyeball evidence. Uh, Chiquitela was able to do whatever he wanted to uh, to do to his victims because he saw them as subhuman. After being captured years later, he told the police that the victims followed me like dogs. That was his words to the forest. They were filthy animals who deserved what they got. Eight more victims met their demise at the hands and knife of Chikatilo in 1983. Six women between the ages of 13 and 25, and a seven year old boy named Igor Gudov, or Gudkov. In January of 1984, the body of 17 year old Natalia uh, Shalapininya uh, was found with part of her lip and nose cut off. Finger was also missing. March 27th, the body of a ten-year-old boy was found. He'd been stabbed a total of 54 times. In May of 1984, 29-year-old Tatiana Petrosyan uh, made the mistake of challenging his manhood when he couldn't get hard for sex. Uh, this is what he claimed later. Uh, she she uh, she'd actually had an affair with Chikatilo a few years earlier, if you could call it an affair. They tried to have sex a few times. He couldn't get it up, and it ended. Then he ran. They ran into each other at a train station again, uh, 1984. You know, he offered the affair again. I guess I don't know. She must have been just fucking desperate for options. Goes with him. And uh, when Svetlana uh, shamed Andre, saying, you call yourself a real man, he he took out a fucking knife out of this bag he'd always carry around, this big kitchen knife, and he slammed it to the side of her head. And didn't kill her, though. Somehow didn't kill her. Now she's screaming. Uh, And then he grabbed a hammer he also had in his bag and just smashed her fucking head in. Uh, And, of course, came in his pants. Even worse, uh, Svetlana uh, didn't come to the forest alone with Andre. She had brought her 10-year-old daughter. And, uh, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sorry, no, Tatiana is the mom. Even more, Tatiana didn't come to the forest alone. Uh, she brought her 10-year-old daughter, Svetlana, and, uh, and this girl had wandered off into the forest before her mom and Chikatilo had started to fool around. And then hearing her mom scream, though, she ran back to the spot where Chikatilo had just killed her mother, the spot where she now saw her mother's body, also saw a buck naked and blood-covered Chikatilo holding a knife. Holy fuck, how terrifying would that be? And then this naked demon chases her through the woods, eventually catches her, stabs her to death, cuts her head completely off. The police would find that uh, they would find the bodies over a week later. Taylor would kill a, a total of fifteen people in 1984. Ten victims dying in August and September alone. Now killed over thirty people total, doing his sick little kill dance around most of the bodies afterwards. Meanwhile, he's still married to Feyina and raising his two kids. Man, he's coming home after a lot of these kills with scratches on his body and his face, blood on his clothes. He tells his wife all his wounds are from helping other workers unload metal, other materials from supply trucks, and she believes him because she doesn't want to believe the truth. She had to know especially after he'd been suspected for that murder years earlier. Said, these aren't work wounds. Give me a break. Uh, Chikatilo is stabbing most of his victims between 30 and 50 times. He's learning where to stab them and not to kill them right away, prolonging their agony as long as possible. He's squatting and kneeling next to the victims as they breathe their final breath so he can hear and then watch the, the light go out of their eyes. He's a monster as scary as anything you can dream up. A real-life Michael Myers jigsaw. Freddie Krueger, Satan himself, he'd tell investigators after being captured that the crying and screaming and pleading of the victims gave him sexual satisfaction. He's also steadily developing a taste for blood uh, and would later confess to biting and chewing on victims' genitalia. Right, Remember the cannibalism tendency that I referenced earlier? This, this is what I was talking about. He's chewing on lips, nipples, tongues. He'd later admit to, to chewing on victims' uteruses and their testicles. His favorite organ, in Nibelon, uh, was the uterus, he would say, revealing later that, you know, uh, when he got caught, that he, that he, I did not want to bite them, this is a quote, I did not want to bite them so much as chew them. They were so beautiful and elastic. What a fucking maniac. There's no fucking limit to this guy's sadism. No limit to the horror he was willing to commit to on people. It's just such a monster, you know, because of impotence. He couldn't, he couldn't properly rape victims, I guess, like he wanted. So he just overcompensated for, for pure savagery. He became more and more attracted to savagery itself, to torture. You know, not even not even necessarily sexual torture, you know? He just he, he, he just wanted to tear these people apart. That's what gave him orgasm. That's so messed up. Ugh. Chewing on fucking uterus. Jesus Okay. So let's get back to this timeline. Let's get away from these crime details. Uh, and there's no point in going over any more of the murders in, in great detail. It's, it's just repetitive horror. Nothing else is gonna be more shocking than cutting off someone's uterus or chewing on somebody's fucking balls. You know, Jesus Christ. Ah, I don't I don't know how you get scarier than Andre Chikatilo. Okay, it's the fall of 1984. The police are no closer to catching their mystery killer than they had been years earlier. He's killing people in different villages, boys, girls, women. The victims uh, range from poor to middle class. They range, you know, considerably in age. It's hard to identify a pattern. You know, he just didn't fit any pattern Russian police were used to. He didn't. He didn't just kill. You know, women. He just didn't kill men. He just didn't kill kids. He didn't have a criminal record. He was a communist in good standing. He was a husband, a father. He had a college degree. He's just not on the radar, uh, despite his previous brush, you know, brushes with the law, and despite the stuff he did at the school, which they they don't know about. And then on September 13th, 1984, uh, he fucks up. He was observed by an undercover detective attempting to lure a uh, young young woman uh, away from a bus station in Rostov. Uh, he was arrested. And his bag was searched, and inside was rope and a knife—pretty P- incriminating. When all the victims had been stabbed, and uh, and because some linoleum, this is so random, had recently gone missing at Chikatilo's job, and it had disappeared under uh, Chikatilo's watch, and because none of his coworkers liked him because he was a f- fucking creep, uh, he'd been blamed recently for stolen goods at work, and it, and it was this charge of theft that actually allowed investigators to detain him for a longer period of time than just circumstantial. Uh, evidence, you know, like a knife with no blood on it. So upon investigation, uh, his shady past comes up, you know, like he, how he'd been investigated for that first murder back in 1978. His physical description matches the description of, of uh, you know, men last seen with a few of the victims. A sample of his blood is taken and then, unfortunately, in this weird twist, and unfortunately for future victims, his blood type does not match the blood type of the killer that had been determined through semen samples, you know, analysis of those samples uh, from the from the crime scenes. Chikatilo was blood type A, while the semen from the crime scenes was from someone with a blood type of AB. So he, uh, based on that, he was dismissed, man. Uh, he was found guilty of the theft, the property theft, from his employer. He was sentenced to a year in prison. Uh, and then he was freed after a few months on December twelfth, nineteen eighty four. This is all so strange. The theft he was actually convicted for, uh, it appears he did not commit. Uh, who the hell knows? Who took giant, you know, two giant rolls of linoleum off a supply truck uh, he'd been in charge of? But I don't think it was Chicatilo. That was never his thing. And, and then he and then he gets let go for the much more serious crimes of murder he did commit because of the one in a million rare blood condition. How fucked up is this? Chikatilo happened to have an extremely rare blood disorder that causes your semen to register as originating from a different blood type than your actual blood and saliva does. And at the time of his arrest, uh, this, this arrest, police did not know this condition even existed. And, and so because of this, you know, instead of being executed for the murders of over 30 people, he gets three months behind bars for a separate charge and then is released upon society once again. Well, upon his release from prison, Chikatilo stopped killing for a little over half a year, which, you know, uh, Totally fucked up a sex life, I'm sure, you know. Just uh, Sex life has been terrible since prison. Uh, Said dick is, is limpest it ever has been. So frustrating when, when you feel police are watching you. So it's hard, it makes it hard to stab someone. Uh, makes it hard to, you know, follow impulses of evil, limp dick and shoot happy juice into, into pants pocket. Uh, ugh, I, just, I just cannot get over how demented this dude is. It's like he was just attracted to violence itself, you know. He would just come with a side of blood. I didn't know that was a thing. I guess Dahmer had a little bit of that, you know, how Dahmer would get turned on when he was, you know, dissecting his victims afterwards, God, or even or even an animal or whatever. Man, and 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 he didn't think himself uh, as being an evil person. How, how does how do you do that? Like like uh, if you're doing that kind of stuff, if you're you know just brutally murdering these people and you don't think yourself, you don't think of yourself as evil. What the fuck do you think evil is? Like what is worse than you? Well, on August 1st, 1985, the day I was celebrating my sister, uh, Donna's third birthday in Riggins, Idaho, 18-year-old Natalia uh, Polovstylvia uh, was running into the devil at a Russian train station. Chikatilo would uh, meet a lot of victims at train stations. She was uh, poor and alone, and Chikatilo offered to buy her food if she agreed to have sex with them. An act that in and of itself makes you a piece of shit. If you're willing to give a stranger food, but only if they fuck you, you're a monster. If you lure a stranger into doing that uh, to actually torture and kill them instead, you're the devil. You're Chikatilo. He took Natalia to the words, you know, tried having sex with her, became enraged as an impotence, then stabbed her 38 times, strangled her, and her body would be found the next day by someone picking mushrooms. Uh, He killed one more victim that fall, 18-year-old Irina Gugliela. And still the police had no idea who's doing all of this. They knew that the killer was between the ages of 25 and 55. They did have somebody form a psychological profile. They knew he was tall, uh, well-developed physically. They knew he carried a knife and a bag or briefcase. They, they thought he may be impotent. They knew he suffered from some sort of sexual perversion. Uh, they also knew he traveled for work, most likely met his uh, most of the victims at train stations, they, they knew his shoe size from, from one of the crime scenes, but they had no idea what he actually looked like, you know, other than being this white Russian dude, which is, you know, 99% of the fucking country, 25 to 55, you know, it's quite the age range. So basically he, he could be any tall Russian man with a shoe size appropriate for a tall Russian man uh, who may or may not be impotent. However, the task force uh, set up to catch the butcher of Rostov uh, did manage to solve a lot of other crimes because of this task force. Over the course of the investigation into Chikatilo's murders, a half million Rostov citizens would be checked, some 10% of the entire population of the region. Uh, This included five thousand four hundred eighty-five men with previous convictions, uh, 10,000 potentially dangerous mentally ill citizens. And while doing this, they were able to clear uh, up uh, over 1,000 other crimes, including 95 other murders and 245 other rapes. Uh, by 1988, Chikatilo has become a grandfather. Man, I hate that so much. Wonderful people you know, die young all the time, and this murderous piece of shit, this sadistic monster, gets to spend time with his grandkids. He's he's a walking reminder of the unfairness and cold indifference of the universe to our existence. Uh, his, his daughter, uh, Lidomelia, is now 23, married, has a kid of her own. By all accounts, Chikatilo is a doting grandfather. So weird how he can be a great-grandpa and then go out and savagely torture other people's grandkids to death. Uh, apparently he's a good dad too, even helps his daughter get a job at the factory he's working at. Uh, he's also killed several more, several more people by 1988, uh, increasingly killing more boys and men than women, which further confused police. In 1987, he killed only males, uh, two 12 year old boys and a 16 year old boy. In 1988, he killed, uh, one woman in her twenties, a nine year old boy and a 15 year old boy. 1989, he killed two girls, 16 year old, 19 year old, and three males, an eight year old and two 10 year olds. Uh, there was no evidence that any of these boys, by the way, were homosexual. Chikatilo just likely lured them into the woods with the promise of food or alcohol or just snuck up on them when they were out there uh, you know, alone. And by 1989, he's 53 years old, and he's given off that harmless grandpa vibe. And uh, why the growing interest in boys? Was he a homosexual? Well, while he would later uh, claim that uh, he never lured uh, you know, anyone into the woods to kill them, he claimed that he'd lured them there for sex, then become enraged when his dick wouldn't work, uh, most people actually in the end didn't buy this. They think that he would just he would say that to try and justify his crimes, try to blame it on his impotence, you know, try to blame it on some kind of sex thing. But but actually, uh he knew. He knew he was gonna kill him when he brought him out there. He wasn't gonna, you know, he wasn't just like gonna be surprised that his dick didn't work. It never worked. You know, he knew where this was going. And so uh some something to the sex of the victim just didn't matter to Chikatilo because it really wasn't about sex and you know, didn't the age didn't matter. Uh, it's just that young people were easier to to trick and to go into the forest with him alone than older people. You know, he wasn't really attracted to boys, girls, men, or women. He was just attracted to sadism itself. He was attracted to violence. He was attracted to power, control, torture. You know, he was he was uh, attracted to the sadistic destruction of a human being. As, as insane as that is, uh, also in 1988, uh, something that would uh, help him get convicted later. Japanese forensic scientists discovered that it was possible, although extremely rare, for someone's semen to not match up with their blood type. And this information was read in 88 by Russian uh, investigators, but they didn't connect it into Chikatilo's uh, prior arrest at that time. 1990 would be the Red Ripper's last year of murder, and he'd claimed the lives of eight more victims, six boys between the ages of 10 and 16, two women, 31-year-old Lyubov uh, Zyivya, and his final victim, 22-year-old Svetlana Kortsk, uh, who he killed in a wooded area near the uh, Donlitskos uh, train station. And on November 6th, police, after looking for Chikatilo uh, for more than a decade, finally got a break that would lead to his arrest. Uh, arrest. Sergeant Igor uh, Rybukov, uh part of the Forest Path Investigation Unit, was doing surveillance at the Donetsk train station, eyes peeled for anything unusual, and at 4 p.m., he sees a man walk out of the woods, which that wasn't unusual. A lot of people would pick mushrooms in this area. Uh, all this mushroom picking, man. It's because they were fucking poor and get some mushrooms for their stew, I guess. Uh, but this man wasn't dressed for mushroom picking. He he was wearing a gray suit, uh, you know, tie, glasses, had a bag with a shoulder strap. His, his finger was also bandaged. There was a red stain on his cheek that you know could be blood, could be berries, I guess, from the forest. His his clothes were covered in leaves. His his, his boots were muddy. Uh, it was Chikatilo. Chikatilo leaving the spot where he had just stabbed Svetlana to death. And then Sergeant Igor Robikov, uh walked over to Chikatilo, asked for his documents, but Chikatilo wasn't a suspect. So the name Chikatilo meant nothing to the sergeant. And, uh, you know, he told the sergeant he was just visiting a friend who lived nearby, and Igor let him go. And then a week later, on November 13th, Svetlana's body is found not far from where Chikatilo had been seen coming out of the forest on the 6th. Sergeant Igor's uh, surveillance report from the prior week is uh, reviewed, and the report of him emerging with leaves on his clothing, carrying a bag, and possible blood on his cheek, you know, is alarming. Uh, officers do a little research uh, into Chikatilo, and his arrest from 1984 comes up, as does investigation into prior killings, you know, uh, do, doing uh, further digging, his, his dis- you know, the 1978 thing. Uh, his dismissal from various teaching positions come up. You know, uh, there's reports uh, of, of the list of items that were found in his suitcase in 1984. Remember that? The knife and the rope. You know, there was, there was now recent information from Japan that someone's sperm didn't have to match their blood type. So with all this info, Chikatilo is prime suspect. He's put under surveillance. You know, they, they want to they wanna have more evidence on him before they, before they arrest him, more than this circumstantial stuff, even though there's a lot of it. And so for the next few days, Chikatilo is followed, and investigators learn that he rides, that whenever he rides a train or takes a city bus, he's always sitting next to a young boy or girl. Like, like, you know, really seeks that out, really makes it a point to, to sit next to the kids and engage them in conversation. He's a fucking constant predator. On November 20th, he's sitting next to a young boy on a train and tries to persuade the young boy to go into the woods with him. And when the boy wouldn't go uh, and Chikatilo got off for the next stop, an undercover officer asked the boy what Chikatilo had said to him. And the boy said that uh, Chikatilo had offered him beer, told him that they should go to his house in the woods and watch some movies Well, the police had heard enough. And uh, they find out where Chikatilo is now, and they arrest him at 3.40 p.m. on November 20th. He was approached by four plainclothes police officers as he walked out of a cafe, quietly arrested, doesn't put up a struggle. Officers handcuff him, put him in a police squad car, and just like that, the 12-year murder spree is finally over. Well, Chikatilo initially denies involvement, of course, Uh, but then when when they did a strip search of him, it was revealed that one of his fingers had a flesh wound. Uh, The medical examiners concluded it was a wound from a human bite. And that was significant because Chikatilo's second-to-last victim, a 16-year-old boy named Victor Tyschenko, was a physically strong youth who had been killed three weeks earlier, on October 30th, and the crime scene revealed that, you know, a ferocious physical struggle had gone on between the victim and his murderer. Uh, Despite his finger actually being broken and his fingernail having been bitten completely off, uh, Chikatilo had, you know, strangely never sought medical treatment for his injuries, which obviously, you know, seems suspicious, red flag. Also, a new blood test reveals that while Chikatilo's semen was blood type AB, his actual blood and saliva are blood type A, which matched the crimes. Initially, though, uh, but still, uh, you know, uh, Chikatilo wouldn't confess. And, and And their evidence was largely still circumstantial. But then on November 29th, nine days after being arrested, after two hours of questioning by the psychiatrist who had put together the psychological profile, you know, during the investigation to find him, Chikatilo burst into tears and finally confesses. He initially confesses to 34 murders... Uh, also, giving a detailed description of each one of them, he tells investigators he used rope to bind their hands behind their back before he killed them. That's what the rope was for. Said he would initially stab victims lightly in the chest before making deeper wounds to the stomach. Eventually, tear into their stomach, remove organs. Over the next few days, Chikatilo confessed to an additional 22 killings. Uh, the bodies of three of the 56 victims he confessed to killing couldn't be found, and so he ended up being charged with 53 murders. Uh, he was sent to the Serbsky Institute in Moscow. To determine if he was mentally fit to stand trial, and after a 60-day psych eval, it was determined that while he suffered from borderline personality disorder with sadistic features, he was fully aware of his crimes and competent to stand trial. In December of 1991, uh, the Russian public is finally made aware of the Rostov River uh, police releasing details of his crimes and his arrest to the media. In the spring of 1992, Chikatilo's trial begins on April 14th. He's charged with five counts of sexual assaults against the minor, you know, against minors. Those are those ones from his days as a teacher, which have finally come to light, uh, in addition to the 53 counts of murder. So let's hop out of this timeline and uh, and take a second and talk about the trial. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. And the trial was fucking wild. I've, I've, you can watch documentary footage of it online. Uh, they they had shaved Chikatilo's head in prison like some lice protocol, and they and they put him in a cage for the trial. Like just he's just in a cage in the middle of the courtroom. He looks like a fucking demon. Like some weird Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lamb shit. He looks so evil. And and he acted like, you know, uh, he's fucking evil. He's, he's crazy. He, like he, he'd blame his limp dick uh, for the torture and murders. At one point, he he stood up in his cage and just, you know, threw his pants down, and he starts, like, you know, violently waving his limp dick around. Just, I'm victim. I'm, I'm cursed with this. Look at it. Look at this f- flaccid sadness tube. What was I supposed to do? Not come? Not kill lots of people? Oh, well, shit, maybe, uh, maybe when I say it like that, it sounds bad, but, you know, uh, God, you know, you got all the family members of the victims of the trial, They're, they understandably want to murder this twisted fuck, you know, they have to constantly be just dis- restrained by police officers from rushing in the cage and trying to, you know, attack him and kill him. It was a circus. And it ends after four months of testimony in August, and then on October 15th, 1992, Chickatee was found guilty of 52 of the 53 counts of murder. Not sure why they couldn't just round up, you know, that last one. And he stands to death for each of the murders. And he's still alive today, because Russian prison officials are still trying to figure out how you kill somebody 52 separate times. And when they do, you know, then, they're, then they'll implement it. No. Uh, he files an appeal on the grounds that the psychiatrist evaluation that found him fit to stand, stand trial was biased. The appeal is unsuccessful. And then on February 14th, 1994, Chikatilo is killed more humanely, sadly, than any of the victims he killed. He is killed by a single bullet fired into the back of his head in a Russian cell. Happy Valentine's Day, Motherfucker. So what the hell did we learn uh, in this suck other other than Chikatilo is, is one of the biggest pieces of shit uh, who ever lived? Well, bef- before I try and answer that, uh, uh, what I think, you know, uh, let, let's see what people on YouTube think about Chikatilo with some idiots of the internet. All right, one year ago, YouTube user Stemple11100 uh, says under a video of courtroom footage of Chikatilo, sick, twisted fuck, one gunshot to the head was way too quick for him. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And then incredibly, instead of, you know, just maybe disagreeing with killing Chikatilo on some kind of, you know, opposition to capital punishment angle, which, you know, okay, I have to entertain, I feel like, as a, you know, rational person, uh, user Pulaski421 disagrees on the Chikatilo was a good dude angle, uh, and and it doesn't seem to be kidding, saying, uh, S-Temple 11100, he should have lived. He at least did the right thing and killed children. Preventing the earth from overpopulation. Open your goddamn eyes and see beyond your religion. What the fuck? What? How can you argue that killing kids is good? You piece of shit. You're seriously going to take a let's kill some kids to cut down on overpopulation? You're going to take that angle? No, limiting breeding is how we could cure overpopulation, you moron. You don't have to go to child murder. I, I, I read this, and I think, if you want to cure overpopulation through murder, why don't you just lead the way, asshole, and kill yourself? Well, user uh, s-temple11100 is in disbelief, uh, which, uh, yeah, of course, and asks, uh, Pulaski421, I seriously hope you're joking. And it doesn't appear user Pulaski421 is joking. They come back with, I am being serious. The fucking humanity is overpopulating. Earth is fucked. The, the humanity is overpopulating I love these idiots uh, and, and then user Nistari uh, has the thought I had Saying, Pulaski421, if you're co- so concerned With overpopulation, why don't you do the world a favor And kill yourself And then user Pulaski421 gets all classy and says I ain't killing myself, but if you really want to kill me You can try to crush me with your fat What? Not sure why weight needs to be dragged into this argument And you can't see uh, Anything uh, You'd have no idea what Nastari looks like So that was just, okay, alright, random immature thing Thrown in there of course it was. He's a moron. Uh, Nistari comes back with a little plea for knowledge saying, Pulaski 421, invest more in your education, son. It sounds like you really need one. And things get even more childish with Pulaski 421 saying in, this, saying, in this case, I'm not from America or whatever shithole you are from to know English really well. I don't even know what that means. And then these two just go back and forth for way too long. Nistari says, Pulaski 421, neither am I. But you are a presumptuous little child, aren't you? I made no mention of your ability to speak English, nor will I. I simply suggested that you were an idiot. <laughs> I love it. And needed to return to school. I love, okay, I, I just suggested you were an idiot, which I, yeah, which I totally agree with. I like, I like the story. Well, uh, Pulaski 421 says, look, pal, you're the idiot sympathizing humans, even though it's fucked. All all shit the society teaches you. Don't act any different. Don't have a personality. Follow the trends. Be a mindless sheep using windows. Believe <laughs> Believe in God is as, as the most required thing. Seriously, just think about it. There's so much so much nonsense in there. So much nonsense. W- using Windows? Like, I love it. What, you're throwing like a weird jab at Microsoft? Into your weird child-killing rant? What the fuck are you talking about, Pulaski421? You know? Uh, not thinking it's cool to torture and kill children is being a mindless sheep? That, that's going along with the trend? Uh, okay, well then, you know, better be a, a sheep in and a... And a And a trend follower uh, than be an independent thinker thinker who's uh, 100% independent thoughts or 100% nonsensical and evil. Just so much stupid. And what this guy, like he thinks he's some, you know, I I do my own thing, man. I don't let society tell me what to think. You know, society's like, hey, man, don't fucking kill kids. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, why? I'm not going to take your word for it. You know this fuckhead believes the earth is flat too. He's talking about the Illuminati all the time. This dumb shit. Well, he keeps going. Uh, they keep going back and forth. Nastari says, Pulaski 421, you really are terrible at reading people, aren't you? If I was sympathetic to humanity, I wouldn't have asked you to kill yourself. (laughs) Good point. You know nothing about me. If everything is fucked, why don't you just end it all now and save yourself the frustration? Just some food for thought, you rebel. Oh, I can just hear the sarcasm in that. I love it, Nastari. Well, Pulaski 421 comes back with, you know nothing about me. You do realize everything is anonymous on internet. Why do you expect me to know everything about you? And no, I'm not killing myself. What do I look like? An emo kid who's trying to get people to take care, to care about him by cutting his wrists. Shit, no. (laughs) What? I love, what do you, what do you think I look like? We don't know what you look like, you dumb shit, because there's no pictures of you. You fucking moron. And the story comes back with, uh, Pulaski 421. One, do you make a habit of assuming so much about all these anonymous people on the internet? Two, the world is doomed, overpopulation is a problem, etc., blah, 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 blah. Why do you choose to be part of the problem instead of the solution? Pulaski 421 says, do I look like someone who spies on people? No. What are, you, what are you even talking about? You know this person either has no friends or their friends are equally as insane and ridiculous and stupid as they are. Again with the what do you, what do you think I look like type of thought? thought. Like, no one can see you, dude. Some, be- some people, they just, it, it'll never cease to baffle me just how mind-numbingly dumb. Some people like, because like, what baffles like, like, I would get it if you were just, you know, truly, you know, I would never make fun of somebody who's like truly, like, mentally handicapped, you know, like someone who's, you know, not intelligent enough to, to use a computer and just kind of saying just pure gibberish. But what it's crazy about this is like, this is someone who knows how to work YouTube, set up a YouTube profile, you know, so they can work, they can get around a computer. That's what it kills me about these idiots of the internet. They can, they can work their way around a computer, but just fucking morons, just dead inside intellectually. Oh my God. Well, Pulaski four two one. He goes on with, and I'm not going to end my life just because the world is fucked. Considering you have these thoughts, why don't you do this to yourself? Since you're that you're that pissed, just because I said that Chikatilo was a good guy for killing children, <laughs> you're pissed. Just because I said Chikatilo was a good guy for killing children, what the fuck? What the hell is wrong? Just do, just calm down. All I said was, you know, it's you know, he's just, just cool to kill kids. How was that inflammatory? It is, it is one of the most inflammatory statements you can make. When well, Nastari comes back with Pulaski 421, clearly you do not understand how logic works. Yes, clearly. Uh, you feel the world is overpopulated. You are populating the world, ergo, you are part of the problem. So shut up or change your status. Can't make it simpler than that, really. Well, Pulaski is not about to let Nastari have the last word. Pulaski 421 comes back with some real, just hard hitting, you know, debate team shit saying, no. How about you eat shit? <laughs> I ain't going to shut up. The world is fucked. I ain't changing it. Okay, interesting counterpoints. Made like a true moron. You know? How about I become part of the solution? You know what? How about how about you? How about you eat shit? <laughs> put, put put another put another debate point on the board for Pulaski 421 Put another debate point on the board for an idiot of the internet. All right, well, call me crazy, but I don't think Chikatilo was a good guy at all. I'm not, uh, I'm not all, at all on board with Pulaski 421. There's no rationalizing what he did, man. You saw atrocities when you were kids, so what? All the more reason to not commit more yourself because you know more than anyone how painful they are. Your dick doesn't work, so what? See a counselor. What a horrible, horrible person to to be able to not only kill children but to do it in such an extremely brutal fashion. Also, we could have the orgasm he wanted. How selfish is that? If the only way you can have a good orgasm is to torture and kill other people, I got an idea. How about you focus on something other than coming? Except that coming isn't gonna be your thing. Take up building model trains. Get yourself castrated to reduce your horny, horrible monster murder thoughts. Huh? Or if you can't take not coming, kill yourself. I you know I really advocate suicide, but if you're if you've tortured a child to death and you're now fantasizing about torturing more kids to death, you should do it. For sure. Just get rid of yourself. This is one of those cases where suicide truly is the best solution for everything. Uh, God, man, do we learn anything at all from this useful sick bastard? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, th- I think it's another good reminder to talk to your kids about never going anywhere with strangers. Reminder for yourself. You know, trust no stranger, even if they're a teacher, even if they're like a grandpa. Even soft-spoken grandpas can kill and be monsters. You know, it really can be anybody, so you shouldn't trust anybody you don't know. Also, uh, you know, we learned if, if your dick isn't getting as hard as you, you like, you know, man up. Go see a doctor for fuck's sake. You know, what if Chikatilo uh, could have gotten a hold of some Viagra as a teen? Maybe talk to a counselor, worked some shit out when he's 11 or 12. Maybe he never would have killed. I don't know. Maybe we would have never gone that far. Oh, man. Uh, and I think we also learned it really sucked to live in Ukraine and Russia during the Soviet Union. Uh, now let's take one uh, more look back. Actually, 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 let's take five more look backs on what we learned today with some Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck. Top 5 Takeaways. Number one, Ukraine was a terrible place to live between 1932 and 1945, with millions of Ukrainians starving because of Stalin and then millions more dying because of Hitler. Hitler and Stalin, even harder on the Russian people than Chikatilo. Number two, Andrei Chikatilo had the strangest sexual fixation I can recall reading about. He was sexually attracted to violence itself, you know, and you were worried about your fetish. Turned out, you know, being into some spanking or some pinup girl costumes, not the big of a deal after all number three if you get so horny you need to jerk off in the woods during your lunch break you may not be a future serial killer like chikatilo but you do need to see a therapist jerking off is great doing it near coworkers on your lunch break bit of a mental illness red flag number four andre chikatilo didn't kill his first victim until he was 42 which means just because you haven't snapped yet if you're younger than that doesn't mean you still can't snap so always work on keeping your shit together work on keeping your mind right you're never too old to let yourself get crazy Number five, new info, not only did Andre Chikatilo kill somewhere between 53 and 56 people, he also inspired even more unnecessary horrific death after he was executed. Another Russian serial killer, Alexander uh, Pichushkin, needed someone to look up to, and he chose a fellow murderer, Andrei Chikatilo. Pichushkin's goal was to outkill Chikatilo, and he did. Chikatilo killed 56 people at most, mix of men, women, and kids, while uh, Pichushkin claimed a body count of 61. Only three short of his goal of killing as many people as there are squares on a chessboard, which is how he got the nickname, the Chessboard Killer. Maybe a future time suck. He was captured in 2006 and is currently serving life in prison, murderers no longer being shot down in Russia with a bullet in the back of the head after the fall of the Soviet Union, so that's a bummer. Time Suck Top 5 Takeaways. All right, special thanks to my buddy and Time Sucker Dayton Patterson for suggesting this week's topic. Also thanks to Time Sucker Haley Seidel uh, for for suggesting this topic quite quite a while back. Uh, excited to suck on the Amityville haunting this Friday, man On November 13, 1974 Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed Six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue Large Dutch colonial house Situated in a suburban neighborhood in Amityville On the south shore of Long Island, New York He was convicted of second degree murder November 1975, December 1975 George and Kathy Lutz And their three kids move into the house And after 28 days, they get the fuck out Claiming to have been terrorized by paranormal phenomena While living there what really happened during those 28 days? Is it a bunch of bullshit, or is it some super scary stuff? Excited to find out this week. Uh, big thanks again to Timesucker Superstar Sidney Shives for keeping track of all the email topics and doing so much more with social media and everything else. Another big thanks. Uh, it's Time Suck Podcast, by the way, across Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. going to get YouTube going this week. Uh, another big thanks to Timesuck editor Jesse Dobner for continuing to offer his services as a Time Suck editor. It was great to meet him in Bellevue uh, last night. Thanks to all you who follow the show on social media at timesuck podcast again on twitter instagram and facebook and now coming up on youtube social media uh, now has that awesome new look thanks to danger brain man if you need graphic branding design logo illustration work go to danger brain go to the danger brain com the com You know, work with the best. And again, thanks for all the interest in becoming a space lizard. When the TimeSuck app comes out, makes me feel so fucking good. A lot of TimeSuckers in Portland and Bellevue asking about it made me feel amazing. As soon as I get uh, an official launch date for the new app and the new website, it will be announced for sure. And thanks for the recent PayPal donations, Amazon purchases made via TimeSuckPodcast.com for the store purchases of TimeSuck hats, tees, sign books, and CDs. All of that helps so very much. All right, let's catch up on previous episodes and recent happenings with some Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates. Time Sucker Damian Nichols let me know how to pronounce the name of the ship I couldn't figure out in the Amelia Earhart episode, the USS Itasca. Riding in with Master Suck, I assume the word you were struggling with is Itasca. Uh, Lake Itasca is the source of a little river you may have heard of, the Mississippi, uh, located in northern Minnesota. Great episode per usual. Keep on sucking. Damien Nichols, will you keep on sucking, Damien? Thank you for that uh, correction. Thanks to other people who sent it in as well. Uh, Time sucker Eric Varney. Others wrote in with the pronunciation update from last week uh, from the Wonderland Murders episode. John Holmes lived in uh, Pataskala, not Pataskala, Ohio, Pataskala, uh, Christian listener, cool update from Josh Powell. Joshua Powell, I love this. He says, hail master of suck. Give my props to Nimrod. I'm just a humble suck servant down here in Louisiana. I'm a pastor and absolutely love your podcast. Man, that makes me feel so good. I usually listen to it while I'm on the road to meetings or headed to the hospital to minister to folks. Ah, that makes me feel so good. I was active in speech and debate in college and I miss those opportunities to engage respectfully with people who see the world differently than I do. I want to take a moment to let you know that I appreciate what you do and I pray for you. It bums me out that you were ostracized from your church for asking too many questions. If you ever have a theological question, shoot me a message. I am always up for good discussion. Oh, I love that, Josh. Well, I, I do a lot of my doctoral research. Uh I did a lot of my doctoral research on the prosperity gospel. The folks are always hounding uh, people for money while claiming to pass out miracles before they get arrested and have a lot of research on the evolution of the movement and the key figures in it. That's interesting. Actually, a lot of it goes back to the mid-1800s, and is pretty interesting if you ever wanted to do a podcast on it. I'd be glad to pass along my research. Just a thought. Keep sucking. Aw, oh, you keep sucking as well, Joshua Powell. Man, thanks for making me uh, a lot more tolerant. I really appreciate that. Really appreciate my religious listeners more and more. Man, we can all get along. We don't all have to think the same things, but we can respect each other's thoughts. Yeah, you know, except for the stupid crazy shit that's dangerous, like Heaven's Gate and Scientology. Come on. Nah, nah. now nah, we got we to gotta get people out of that. Uh, this final update was sent in regarding the Vegas shooting. Man, I'm, I've met several time suckers who were there. Last, last night I met a couple who were there, you know, obviously still devastated by it. It's so horrible. Uh... Jeez. Yeah, this update is about me mentioning a future episode at some point on our nation's debate on gun control, which I will. It's going to be a little while. I got to really, you know, work on my thoughts. And anyway, this is uh, says, uh, dear Mademoiselle uh, Daniel Suckington Esquire. First off, I'm a longtime comedy fan uh i've been riding the suck since the beginning absolutely love it also i'm writing this email from the phone so please ignore any grammar and crazy autocorrects that i miss on to the point i'm writing it in because during the the last suck wonderland you mentioned the horrible event in vegas and a possible future time suck on the gun control debate i caught a few mistakes and you're wording about firearms and the laws around them and noticed mistakes before in other episodes while talking about firearms nothing too serious but enough to drive a uh a diehard two-way supporter insane. i write as an ex-member of the u.s military love my military listeners Uh, A longtime gun owner, gun rights supporter, diehard supporter of the truth and facts around the firearms world. I'm hoping that you'll be uh, sure to speak to people on both sides of the debate when you do. Absolutely, I will. Absolutely, I will. Uh, and to find someone uh, you know, not too biased in either direction to help with the facts so that will be distorted by either side. I fully support gun rights, but I know that the pro-gun people uh, will uh, distort truth just as much as the anti-gun people. It's all an agenda, and both sides will distort facts to their advantage. I am a firearms enthusiast in terms of collecting, shooting, building, following the history and development of, uh, of firearms, and tracking and studying the laws around them. If you would like, I would gladly be available to answer any firearm questions you have with an unbiased factual reply, and an opinion, uh, uh, an opinion reply, if you'd like. I just hate seeing misinformation, accidental, accidental or purposeful, for or against, being broadcast about such a touching, important topic. I am by no means an expert, but I do have a deeply educated view on the topic. Please feel free to contact me anytime a question arises. Always loyal agent of Nimrod, Stephen Clan. God dang it, man, that's so fucking great, you know. And he says, "Keep on sucking." I love it, man. I just love how time suckers are, man. We conservative liberal all over. We just, you know, so respectful all the time. So always offering to help. That's so amazing to me. Uh, and several other time suckers also wrote in to let me know that, uh, my mistake about automatic rifles, uh, that they are actually illegal. I, I do want to clarify that I did actually know that. When I was talking about automatic rifles, how we need to get, you know, maybe think about getting rid of those. I I, I meant modified. I should have been more clear. I, I meant modified semi-autos with like the bump stocks that have been modified to act like an automatic rifle for all intent and purposes. So that's my bad for for, for not being more clear. And and I will, man. I will, I will, Stephen. I, I will uh, hopefully remember to to hit you up uh, sometimes I get so rushed in a moment, I forget, but I really do want to, and, and I want to really take some time with that one. It'll be a little while because I really do want to present both sides. Uh, I, I want to do that with every topic, man. I know that, uh, you know, a few early on, I definitely took uh more of a liberal or, you know, kind of libertarian stance on some things. And I want to be a little bit better, you know, always going forward on, you know, I'm gonna have my opinions, but also make sure that I represent that those are my opinions and represent the other side as well. That's what time suckers about, man. People come together, not just you know, not just listening to this bullshit polarized news we're getting all the fucking time. I'm so sick of trying to divide us. You know, you, you you got Fox News, you know, shitting on liberals constantly, and you got the Huffington Post shitting on conservatives, and neither one of them are doing anybody any fucking favors. You know, just pushing people further into their corners. That's bullshit, man. And this is um, I, I want this to be a place where we can get away from that bullshit. So thank you uh, for those time sucker updates. Thanks, time suckers. We all did. All right, have a great week, everybody. Uh, follow us up on social media, TimeSuck Podcast on Instagram, uh, where we held had those uh, votes for the bonus episode, and, and and I hope you enjoyed the 1100 review bonus episode this Friday, the Amityville haunting. Man, have a great week again. Hail Nimrod, and keep on sucking. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book? Play Fortnite? Call your mom? Take judo lessons?